in that uh, reading that we had this morning, we, we discovered the way that a rich king lives his life. How he was wealthy and how he had power to make decisions that were maybe in favor or against you. We struggle with the concept of richness and wealth. Being rich or being poor are relative terms to to many in the world. We all, however our bank accounts might look today, are rich. We are rich, we are wealthy, we have the power. And then in comparison to some others, we are poor. The American businessman, J. Paul Getty, who died in 1976, left at that time an estate that was worth somewhere around about $6 billion. I guess that's rich. He knew that he was wealthy, but he also had a reputation of being frugal. You know, in that old saying, look after the pennies and the pounds look after themselves. Yeah, he would apply that. His secretary after his death claimed that um, when his shirts had become frayed up the cuff, he would trim the cuff rather than buy a new shirt. That's how you get to be a multi-billionaire. Well, the the king in our passage is not a a king in the sense of royalty, but he's someone of great wealth, enormous wealth in the parable that Jesus is telling his friends. A man of power. A man that can probably do whatever he feels he wants to do because that's one of the things about wealth. You can choose to trim the frayed bits off your cuff or you can choose to have a new shirt every day. In our passage at the start, he's thinking about debt and how he is owed 10,000 talents. It says in little footnotes in your Bible that millions of pounds. Um, 10,000 in the Greek at that time was about the biggest number that could actually be recorded, that there wasn't really numbers. The the concept of mathematics hadn't moved forward in a way of really expressing much more than 10,000. And uh, some commentators reckon that 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 number, that value of 10,000 talents 
is just so much, partly because it's the biggest number they could think of, but also because it was about ten times what Herod the Great would gather in, in taxis in a year. It is unbelievable, the vastness of this loan that the king had made to a servant. And again, that word servant, you know, needs a little bit of unpacking. Not king as in royalty, not servant as we might normally think of. Maybe more servant in the terms of someone who works with him, someone who works for him, somebody that himself would have had quite a deal of authority as we see later in the text. An unbelievably large sum. And so, when we see the king calling in that loan, we see a question of how can it be repaid? And it might, that calling in of a large loan, bring back to mind a a saying of Getty. If you owe the bank $100, that's your problem. If you owe the bank $100 million, that's the bank's problem. You know, it's that sort of sum of money that would undermine the bank. Certainly, back in the day, Getty was alive. And yet, in our passage, in this parable that Jesus tells, that huge amount of money, that amount of money that has been loaned out, which is beyond all comparison, is a debt that gets cancelled. find that banks don't often cancel debt. You know, maybe if there's like, you've paid your credit card bill, but they've charged interest in the meantime, and there's like a penny left there. I've seen that odd instance where they've actually cancelled it. Some years ago, not now. It's not a normal thing, is it? The king expects the debt to be paid. That's the rule. If you loan something, you expect to get it back. He expects the servant to pay it. And so, what can the king do? What can the king do? Well, take all the guy's possessions. Take even him and his family, his wife and any children. Take them and sell them. He's a man of power. He can do what he wants. 
pulling the bailiffs in, but maybe a bit more. But the servant begs, have patience. Wait, you'll get your money. And you say, you know, I can do it in installments. A small monthly fee, you know, I'll pay it back to you. But when the king hears that, he doesn't just say, yeah, that's okay. He cancels the entire amount. The whole loan written off. We'd be wrong to take from that that the king is so wealthy that even 10,000 talents, the most unbelievably large sum of money in the world, millions of pounds means nothing to him. That would be the wrong direction to take in our minds. He has much money, rich beyond our wildest dreams. But he expected that money to be repaid. He's rich. But he's rich not only in wealth, He's rich in love. He's full of compassion. And he realizes that that servant can't possibly. That promise, oh, I'll pay it off in a few months if I just keep paying you a small amount. The servant's never going to get there. And rather than leave the weight of debt hanging over the servant... He allows a fresh start, a clean slate. He allows the servant to be a new man. He takes who he was and remolds him. He says, right, that's it. Don't worry about that problem. Have a new beginning. But the king's servant takes that new beginning and carries on being the person that he was. He doesn't adopt his master's attitude in regards to a fellow debtor. The hundred denarii that is owed by a fellow servant is a large amount of money. It's not a small amount of money. It is a large amount of money. It's 100 days pay. The equivalent of today, a few thousand pounds. It's still a reasonable sum of money. But compared with that cancelled debt, it's a tiny, tiny fraction it's one six hundred thousandth. Right? Now that'd be an interesting thing to try and draw out, but I'm not going to do it. You know, fractions, if you remember them, are one on top and then six hundred thousandth at the bottom. Tiny. 
in comparison. And the words of pleading from this fellow servant are the same. Be patient. I'll pay it back. Everything. It's all coming back. It's the same thing. And this time, it is a more realistic offer, isn't it? I imagine among us, there might be folk with a mortgage of a car loan. <laughs> or something on our credit card, or something like that, a, a, a debt that we know that we, we can't pay it off over a period of time. It, it's something more imaginable in that term. But what happens? You say, oh yeah, well, yeah, that's reasonable, I can do that. You know, there's an element, that's a sensible solution, a good way forward. Yeah, that's practical. But now, what the, the servant who'd had his slate washed clean who'd been offered the new start, says, is sort of basically straight to jail. Directly to jail. You know, do not pass go, do not collect 200 pounds. That's it. There is not the slightest chance of any relief. He doesn't, he's not picked up anything from what his master had done for him. Do we live as we're supposed to? Do we reflect what the master has done for us? The king had shown mercy and grace. He hadn't sold his servant and his family as slaves. He hadn't thrown them in jail. He hadn't given the punishment that they deserved when he was unable to pay. Instead, he gave new life. We who have received new life need to reflect that new life, that love, that mercy, that grace that we've received. We need to be molded into a way that reflects who God is and what he's done for us. What led to that parable? Well, Peter had had a question, didn't he? How often was he to forgive? And I wonder if that's simply a question of theology, because Jesus has been talking a bit about sin and forgiveness, or whether for Peter there's been something playing on his mind. Questions about our understanding of God, about our understanding of Scripture, 
often come when there's something on our mind. When there's something there. And, and we read it, hopefully interpreted by the Spirit, but we read it also with an element of the context that we live in. It's rather like how two newspapers can report the same story on their front page and have two completely different headlines. Headlines that are polar opposites. One praising what has happened, one saying how that makes it the end of the world. So, perhaps Jesus teaching about forgiveness had thrown the disciple a bit of a problem. Maybe he was thinking about how he's this character that always jumps into things. He always has a word to say. Maybe he's thinking about a relationship issue he has with his brother, Andrew. Or maybe with the other disciples. How often do I forgive them? The rabbis of the day suggested forgiveness could maybe happen three times. You know, but by the time you've done it three times, you know, surely the person's learned. And they're not going to do it again, are they? So Peter's question, that putting in of the number seven, that number of completeness, the number of days in the week, um, suggests uh, an extravagance of forgiveness. You know, I'll forgive seven times, because he knows that Jesus is a sort of generous character, and how he speaks of God is in a generous sort of way. So, so you know, how often is it? Is it seven times? Is it maybe seven times I might get forgiven for doing the same thing that I know is wrong, but I want to stop and I just keep doing it. But Jesus knows God's richness. And it's a fullness of richness. It, it's a richness that knows no limit. And he says 77 times. Not just seven. And we might think, oh, he's done a bit of a play with numbers there, hasn't he? He's just kind of doubled up the number, put it next to it. Nice big number. Yeah, that's quite good. What happens at the 78? That's not quite where we're going either, is it? The 77 takes us right back to the beginning. 77 is there in Genesis 4. Lamech tells his family that a man injured him, a man had wounded him, and in response he killed the man. Not so much an eye for an eye, or a tooth for a tooth, 
but a major. You come at me, I'll wallop you. And he says that if Cain would avenge seven times, I'll avenge 77 times. Right back there at the start of the story of how people are starting to go away from God's way. There's this sense of people taking revenge that goes far beyond the original thing that was done to them. Jesus says, now, you forgive even 77 times. And so we see the generosity of God. But there's also a twist, as there quite often is in a parable. A twist at the end. A little thing to to make us think about what happens when we don't forgive. Whether we really have been moulded into that new shape for our life. Do we live as people of faith, of love, of forgiveness, or do we simply think we have the tick in the box and then move on? Do we think, yep, I've made my promise to follow God, I can do whatever I feel like now because I'm forgiven. Those of us that at some point in our life have passed a driving test, would know that if we were speeding while doing the test, the examiner would put a mark. Would it probably mean that you'd failed? It's unsafe, unlawful. And you know that at the time that you take your test, at the time that you say, you're going to be a safe driver whenever you go out on the road. But on receiving a full license, do we sometimes start to forget the things that we knew were wrong? We are forgiven by our faith and by God's grace. But that doesn't mean that's it. We have to live as those people. We have to be the shaped people shaped in the image of God. The king sees the forgiven servant doing something that was not necessarily actually unlawful in the land. The forgiven servant was putting the other servant into prison. And that was allowed for. That was common. That was the understood thing that would happen if you didn't repay the debt that was owed. What's here 
is the issue of where's the heart of the one whose debt was cancelled. Just because something is lawful in society, does it mean it's all right for us to do it? To be a person of faith, we must have hearts that are molded for God, for his way, rather than our own. We have to start thinking of others before ourselves, accepting that others will do things that wind us up. But actually, what we are called to do is to forgive. Our way of life is our decision. Do we love and forgive and think of the other? Do we live God's way? Or do we think of ourself. As we come towards the end of this sermon, uh, Getty had five failed marriages. And is quoted as saying, a lasting relationship with a woman is only possible if you have a business failure. I don't think that's true. But a lasting relationship, be it with your partner or a relationship with God, is only possible if you're not thinking of yourself. May we be people who seek the right riches of our life. And may we be people who pour out the blessing of God's love.